Happy New Year to you. I, um, I, I'm not really on social media very much anymore, but you know, I looked a little bit on social media uh, this week uh, during sort of the down week and couldn't help but notice our tone has changed a little bit over the last two years. We used to say things like 2020 is going to be my year. And that all has been beaten out of us over the last couple of years. So uh, well done, not entering into the new year with too much hubris. But uh, I did want to give an announcement before we dive into the message today um, about something that we do every year at the very beginning of the year in January. Uh, we always like to kick off our our sort of new year together as a church with a week of um, devoted, consecrated time of prayer and fasting. And so uh, what we do is we, we shut down everything that the church is sort of normally doing, and we just devote one week where we fast together. Some people fast for all seven days. Some people take a day here and a day there. Some people give up um, something that's a little bit more manageable during that time. But really just setting aside sort of a space where we then gather together two times a day at 6 a.m. and at 6 p.m. to seek God for the year for our church. Um, we pray for revival. We pray for our city. We pray for the students across the street at Hudson's Bay High School. We pray for the families in our church. We pray for spiritual awakening. We pray for all of those things. We're going to have daily prayer focuses throughout the week, but that is going to be happening beginning next Sunday, which is January 9th, and we're going to be carrying it all the way through to Friday night, and we will finish our week of prayer and fasting by doing Encounter on January 14th on Friday night. So I want to encourage you to, to prayerfully consider how God would invite you into a week of fasting, whether it's giving up all food for, for you know, six, seven days, um, or if it's just a, a little bit more of a moderated fast. And I want to encourage you to come to the prayer meetings uh, in the morning and in the evening, um, whatever you can make work, as many as you can, but let's really, f let, like, let's own this together. Let's start the year strong together as a church, seeking the presence of God. Can we do that? You guys are in? I will be there, and I will be seeing who else is there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm, oof, starting off the year a little wrong note. Um, so yeah, next Sunday, come to church hungry. Let's, let's, let's go for it. Now, this morning, we are starting a new series called that we're calling Foundations of Prayer. Um, if you've been around our church for even a little while, hopefully you have caught the fact that one of our highest priorities as a church is to be together in God's presence, particularly in prayer. We have daily prayer meetings. We were birthed out of a prayer meeting. This church, before it was ever a church, started out as a prayer meeting that was happening in the founding pastor's home uh, daily, actually. And so we take this very seriously. It is part of our DNA. And, um, and so uh, what we want to do at the very beginning of this year is to set aside some time where we talk through how to grow in prayer. Because our goal isn't only to put on prayer events. Our goal is to equip our people to be able to have rich personal lives of prayer with God, to enjoy God's presence daily wherever you go. So whether if you are brand new to following Jesus, I want to say that the foundation that of this life of discipleship is built on is a life of prayer. And if you are seasoned, if you have been a Christian for a long time, I want to remind you, I want to call you to re-examine your personal foundations and see how, how you're doing and to shore it up and build upon it this year. And today's message is is easily the simplest talk that I've ever given, and it's one that I've actually given a few times because I think that even though it is extremely simple, 
it is extremely important. Um, here is the entire sermon summed up in one sentence. Start your day every day with Jesus. We could literally dismiss and call it right there, but we're going to keep going. I have been a pastor for six whole years now. In fact, today is the uh, six-year anniversary. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. And applauding to you guys for sticking with it this whole time. Um, And I've had countless conversations through the years hearing about the very real challenges that people like you and me face in our lives. And here is a little pastor secret. 99% of the time, the solution to some of the problems that we face begins with spending time with Jesus. Like if you were to call your internet provider because your internet wasn't working and you were to ask them to to give you a solution, they began to troubleshoot the problem, the first question that they would always ask you is, have you attempted to turn it off and turn it back on? Because every IT person knows that 99% of the time, something is remedied by simply turning it off and turning it back on. In the same way, when I meet with someone in the church and they're going through a personal struggle, I can identify a simple solution that at least begins to solve the problem 99% of the time, and it's this. Start each day with Jesus. Simply develop a life of spending time with Jesus every single day. This is the beginning point of growing in every way to becoming uh, mature followers of Jesus. You guys with me? All right. Years ago, um, when I was in my early 20s, I was spending a season of my life and I was serving at a church that had a prayer room. And part of my internship Uh, required me to spend significant hours in that prayer room. I actually moved to sort of the other, another part of the world. And my whole thing was, I'm just going to live here. I'm going to work at a Starbucks and I'm going to spend time with Jesus in prayer and serving in a church. And so um, one one morning when I was in the prayer room, I had the most vivid vision of my life. And it's been something that has actually marked uh, every year since. There, there's a lot to it, and I'm not going to explain all of it, but here, here's just a, a real simple, basic part of it. I, was, I, I saw myself, and I, it was a picture of me, and I looked very weathered, and I was backpacking, and I was backpacking through the woods with a very heavy backpack that was loaded down with all kinds of awkward supplies, like cast iron cookware and large, thick books and an axe and things like that, things that I would never take on a backpacking weekend trip. And so I was walking on a trail, and I was next to this river, and every time I would come to a fork in the river, I knew, or a fork in the trail, I knew that I was supposed to stay close to the river, and that the river represented the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so everywhere that I go, stay close by the Lord. And the pace that I was walking at in this vision was extremely slow because I was so weighed down by the backpack that I was carrying, all the heaviness of my supplies. And other hikers were blowing past me, like way faster, were hiking way faster than me, which made me really frustrated because of the weight of my pack. And if you know me at all, you know that I do not like to be passed on the trail. I'm a very competitive person, and it was irritating me. And so I found myself wanting to let go of the skillets and the axe and tear pages out of the book to make my pack lighter. But the Lord spoke to me that the other hikers with their ultralight REI gear were only doing a short trip and that they weren't outfitted for a life on the trail. And he wasn't calling me to a short, quick trip. He was calling me to a life of pilgrimage. And the heavy supplies that were in my backpack represented things like fasting and meditating on scripture 
and prayer. And I could, I could choose to see them as heavy and cumbersome and getting in the way of the journey. But what God was showing me is that, that they are slow, but that they are durable. They'll never break, and there's real substance to it. The prophet Jeremiah wrote this in Jeremiah 6.16. He said, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. And so I, I come back to that, that vision all the time because it's important for us to remember that we are not called to a short hike and then back to normal life. We are not called to short excursions or momentary experiences with God. We are called to be pilgrims that walk an ancient path. And we need ancient and durable tools for the journey. You see, discipleship to Jesus is not a hobby It's not a Facebook status. It is a lifelong journey that stays next to the river that is the Holy Spirit. The short-term trip mentality of many Christians is looking for just quick fixes or momentary experiences or, or something that can just sort of enhance my life for the moment. But Jesus is calling us to something different, what Eugene Peterson calls the long obedience in the same direction. That's what the life of discipleship is. And so we're not day trippers, we're pilgrims. We need the tools that can sustain us for a lifelong journey on the ancient path of apprenticeship. And I believe that one of the most important tools that will sustain us for this journey is the very simple rhythm of daily meeting with God. You see, and how do we know that is because when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that this is one of his core practices himself. If we want to become like Jesus, we need to do the same things that he did. And so in the book, The Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard, he writes, my central claim is that we become like Christ by doing one thing, by following him in the overall style of life he chose for himself. If we have faith in Christ, we must believe that he knew how to live. We can, through faith and grace, become like Christ by practicing the types of activities he engaged in, by arranging our whole lives around the activities he himself practiced in order to remain constantly at home in the fellowship of the Father. If we want to become more like Jesus, we need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. You see, we often make the mistake of, of striving or straining, gritting our teeth to, to you know, be like Jesus, become more like Jesus, do the right things. What would a Christian do? What is my, my, wear a bracelet that says, what would Jesus do? And in the heat of conflict or temptation, we, we just try to grit our teeth and get through it, all the while never actually accessing the power that Jesus says is available to us. Jesus' teaching again and again affirms that we are not called to, do, to merely do right things. We are called to actually become righteous people. And this transformation only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us as we practice the rhythms and the habits and the disciplines that Jesus calls us to. And so one of the, the, the core disciplines, we see it right here at the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark. It opens with this, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 35. We read that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, this, I think, is a monumental passage in the Gospels. 
It's not one that most of us have memorized. Very few of us are going to put it, you know, on some kind of art piece that hangs up on our walls or anything like that. But I think that right here, we see something that is very key to the life of Jesus. And think about his life. Jesus ministered to great crowds, but he was always retreating to practice solitude and silence and prayer. Before Jesus' ministry ever launched, it was th three years of ministry was preceded by 30 years of obscurity. And then he was baptized, and instead of launching right into the city center, getting to work doing ministry, he instead goes out into the wilderness to fast and pray for 40 days. Jesus could recall scripture in the moment after 30 years of study and memorization. Jesus would wake up early in the morning to spend time communing with the Father. So the question is, do you think that there might be a connection between the fruit of Jesus' life and the way that he spent his time and lived his life? Christianity is not a set of ideas. It's practices that we work at. And the public fruitfulness of Jesus' life was preceded by private faithfulness. Jesus retreated regularly to be alone with the Father. This was the source of Jesus' power and his authority. Now, this life of discipline is not about doing practices by sheer force of will, box checking, or just trying to resist the pleasures of this world and gritting our teeth and, you know, just sort of straining. This, this life of discipline that Jesus is inviting us into is an invitation to what Jesus calls the easy yoke and the light burden. It's about drawing from God as our source for life, learning how to feed ourselves with him. He says this in John chapter 15. It says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, apart from abiding in him, apart from spending time with him, we can do nothing. But as we commune with him, as we give our lives to being in his presence, we can do anything. Spending time with Jesus is really about making space in our lives to discover that the source that we, that we actually have been longing to draw from all along has been Jesus. And that, it's, and that everything that we have sought after, run after, pursued, sort of in our flesh or in our own strength, has left us empty and lacking. When you abide in God as your source for life, you find that you end up having much more than enough. And duty and obligation will never be able to sustain a life of prayer. We have to remember that, that it's not about you know, fulfilling a requirement. It's about actually enjoying him and finding him as the prize. It's about finding him as our treasure. It's about aligning our hearts with him and discovering that true life is with him. So here again, it's my big idea. Start your day with Jesus. It's a simple principle, but I believe it's the most important thing that you can do to grow as a follower of Jesus. And at this point, I'm going to start getting a little legalistic, okay? You guys ready for some rules? Yeah. Okay. And I hope that I have enough credibility with you that you'll actually be able to hear my heart behind this. I am convinced that you need to start your day with Jesus. Emphasis on the word start. I think that it is crucial if you really want to live this life of discipleship for the long run to 
to begin your day with devotions, not right before bed, not in the middle of the day, but right at the very beginning of the day to walk in greater fruitfulness. I think that we need to be filled at the beginning of every day. There is something different that happens in our hearts when we give him our freshest moments before all of the frustrations and craziness of our day. Now, for some people, this is really easy, and we call you morning people. How many of you choose to be up before 7 a.m. on your day off? Yeah, yeah. You know who does that? My children. (laughs) And everybody else are, weird, are weirdos. You know, people who like to get up at 4 a.m. I know, I know this is your lifestyle. Get up at 4 a.m., milk the cow, you know, hand grind your coffee, grab your dog, go for a two-hour walk, spend time with the Lord. But the rest of us are normal people. So start, starting your day with Jesus, it sounds awesome. But it's not always easy. There are so many things that easily get in the way. I mean, moms and dads of young kids, you know how hard it is to be able to carve out that space, getting a little bit of alone time to read your Bible. My kids will sleep through anything. They'll sleep through like a drag race happening outside our window. But the moment that my wife opens the, 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 the crinkle of the pages on, the, on her Bible, my kids are immediately awakened and they immediately need breakfast. Today, they were up at 6 a.m. I got mad. (laughs) I know that many of you have long commutes, and the idea of getting up even earlier, knowing that you have a long drive, is just so hard. And then some of you are just not morning people. Like, it's hard to get out of a warm bed in your cold house. Your brain probably doesn't even function until you're in your second cup of coffee. And if you do get up and you manage to to sacrifice and you walk down to your dining room table and you open your Bible, you're just trying, all you can do is just try to stay awake. And let's face it, reading the book of Leviticus in, in February is not exactly like a page turner. What if you don't feel anything in those early hours? This can be a real obstacle to morning quiet time. Some people just struggle to get up in the morning. It's hard, isn't it, Liz? (laughs) And I am not a morning person at all. I am also not a night person. There needs to be a happy middle. I'm the go to bed at 10 o'clock, get up at 7 a.m. type of person. But I set my alarm every morning to get up at 4.30 almost every day. Why? Because time with Jesus is the most important thing that I can do. It's a battle for many of us, but I'm convinced that the battle is worth it. The most important things in life require effort and discipline. They don't happen naturally, and God gives us grace for the battle. So I want to just give a couple of principles real quick before we close, and we're going to have some ministry time, um, to help you think through how to plan for a morning devotional time. If you do these things, I guarantee that you will find growth in your walk with Jesus in the year ahead. The first thing is to make it regular, meaning don't just wait for a moment of inspiration. Don't just wait for the day you wake up early and you naturally just are saying the Spirit of God is already speaking to you. Now, humans are routine-driven, and most success and progress happens through routine. So I get up at the same time almost every single day, except for when I'm practicing the Sabbath or if my child was up all night, let's be honest. And I go to the same place each morning. I schedule my time with Jesus to make it a priority. Growth doesn't happen in short bursts of inspiration. It happens through consistency. So I'd encourage you to set an alarm for the time you need to wake up to get that time with the Lord. 
It might mean that you might need to get to bed a little bit earlier in the evening. But prioritize your time with God. Make this number one. And doing this requires preparation. Make your lunch the night before. Grind your coffee the night before. Get to bed on time. Set your alarm. One of my mentors used to say that everything that he did after 7 p.m. directly impacted his morning prayer time. And I found that to be totally true. If you, if you find yourself eating a whole bunch of sugar after 7 o'clock, this is like, these are like 30-year-old problems now, I'm like discovering. I can't eat pizza at 8 o'clock and expect to have a good quiet time the next day. Make your devotional time regular. And then secondly, make it enjoyable. Time with God is not meant to be an ascetic practice where we're making ourselves suffer for holiness. It's meant to be enjoyable. When we come before the Lord, we should find joy in his presence. But let's be honest, you may not always find joy in the earliness of the morning, so find ways to make it enjoyable. Make coffee. That's like the best, isn't it? My favorite morning ritual is arrow pressing a cup of relevant coffee. Or go for a walk with Jesus. Or sit on the back patio and look out at the garden. It's like being on a date with God. It's cultivating sort of, it's creating sort of an atmosphere where you can really enjoy him. And look at the life of Jesus. He would wake up early, really early each day, and then he would escape to be alone with the Father. And he would usually hike you know, up a hill that overlooks the Sea of Galilee, and he would watch the sunrise while he prayed. I think that, that was really enjoyable for Jesus. I think that he used nature to recenter his soul each day. So what, what kind of things can you do to make your time with Jesus enjoyable? Now, the question is, what should I do? How should I, how should I structure a quiet time? There are loads of models for how you should spend your quiet time, and I'd be happy to share some of my favorites if you send me an email. But for now, I just want to offer a couple of key things that you should do each morning when you spend time with Jesus. Generally speaking, all of, any model that you will use will likely follow some type of Lectio Divina pattern, which is to read, to listen, to pray, and to contemplate or to prepare for the rest of the day and how you live it out. So first, first thing, most important thing, I think, in your quiet time is to read scripture. The Bible is crucial for your formation. It was central to Jesus' life, and it should be for us as well. And Jesus didn't go around carrying armloads of scrolls so that he could reference uh, any passages as he went. No, he spent years memorizing the, the Old Testament scriptures. And how we approach the scriptures will really affect what we get out of it. If we only approach the Bible as a confusing ancient text that we're obligated to read, uh, you know, a chunk of every day in order to check a box for your Bible reading plan to get through it in a year, then you'll basically get out of it what you put into it. That you'll, you'll, you'll get the box check, and that'll be about, about it. But I think that we're actually called to do more than that. I think we're called to enjoy Scripture. Every Saturday morning, we have pancakes uh, for breakfast as a family, and then we read a psalm, and we talk about it with the kids for like three minutes because they're young. And, um, and yesterday's psalm was Psalm 119. And look at, da- look at how David talks about the Scriptures. He writes, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. 
They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is a great reward. Have you ever experienced God's word like that? Like, have you ever read something in the Bible and you just found your soul being refreshed or, it, or your heart being, you know, filled with joy or light coming to your eyes and new insight for how you live your life? When we begin our day with the scriptures, the promise is that this will actually be something like drippings from the honeycomb. And I think that it's really important that we don't come to the Bible as a discipline that we have to check a box. It's some, we have to come to the Bible with a sense of hunger and longing for God. When you open your Bible, read it slowly. Look for the words that jump off the page. Because you want to read to understand what the text is saying, yes, but you also want to read it to receive nourishment in your soul. What does the text that you're reading say about who God is? What does the text say about who you are? How does the text confront your expectations or your values or how you live your life? How is the text calling you into something higher? How is the text speaking to your wounds or accusations that the enemy is whispering in your ear? Um, Here's an example in my life, just from this weekend. On Friday, I was experiencing some of the low feelings that happen after the holidays. I don't know if any of you experienced that too, but just the letdown from all the exhaustion of hosting parties and eating way too much sugar and everything else. And I was just feeling a little bit depressed. And I, and I was talking with my wife and I actually said, you know, I feel like I just feel like my life sucks. I feel like I don't contribute anything meaningful to the world. I feel like, you know, I, I, like I'm just a consumer and like my life is way off track, blah, blah, blah. I'm insignificant. And so Carly, she prayed for me and encouraged me and it was really great. And then the next morning, I was rocking my baby girl back to sleep. She woke up. It was like four in the morning. And so I was just reading Genesis chapter 16 in the rocking chair while I was holding her. And I saw this verse as part of my, just my daily reading. Genesis 16, 13 says that Hagar gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. And it was like, the, the, that verse, it like jumped off the page and punched me in the face. It was exactly what I needed in that moment. Because what I needed to hear was that my significance is not about what I contribute. It's about who sees me. And that God sees me. And I wasn't looking at the God who looks at me. I was looking at everyone else and comparing myself to others. And right then and there, I had this rich time of prayer in the dark hours while rocking my baby girl back to sleep. That's like the being nourished. That was like the drippings from the honeycomb being given to me in that moment. and, and, And here's the thing. Genesis 16 could have easily been a dry box to check. Instead, it was nourishment for my soul. It was joy to my heart, and it refreshed me. 
So we need to listen to the Spirit as we read from the Scriptures. Each morning, I want to encourage you to take time to immerse yourself in God's Word, to take some Psalms or take the Gospels or read through the Bible in a year, but to read it slowly and with intention. To meditate on Scripture is one of my favorite practices. Years ago, I remember God gave me, I was reading the Psalms, and again, one of those, one of those verses, it, it jumped up and hit me, and I felt like the Lord said, I want you to take this week and every day just meditate on this one. It's John chapter 17, verse 15, which says, As for me, I will be holy." your face in righteousness. When I awake, I will be satisfied with your likeness. And I just spent hours, hours meditating on that. And it wasn't like I had some grand new revelation. It just finally stuck. It finally like, it finally clicked into place and it become one of the most important verses of my life. We need, or so you can meditate on scripture. You can use a reading plan. Anybody doing the read through the Bible in a year this year, 2022, read through the Bible in a year? couple of us. All right. Awesome. Uh, Are you guys on track? (laughs) All right. Day two. We're on it. Good. I am too. It's good. Uh, Or you can memorize scripture. One of the people I most admire is Jeff Tatarski. The guy can recall scripture like nobody else I've ever met. He just, just, it just flows off his tongue. Get God's word into you every day. Second, worship and prayer. Spend time every morning singing and talking with the Lord. I think it's really important to speak our heart to God. So I want to encourage you, put on some music that stirs you up and start your day with worship. And if you're having a hard time thinking about what to pray for, here's a couple strategies. First, make a prayer list. Think about all the different people or situations or concerns you have in your heart and make a list so you can pray over them each and every day. Pray and sing in the spirit. If you have the gift of tongues, then just then use that, access that to build up your sort of your inner man. Pray the scriptures. Take a section of scripture and say, okay, God, your word says this. And pray it back to him. One of my favorite places to do that is in Ephesians chapter 3, the apostolic prayer by the apostle Paul. Praying it back to God and saying, God, I'm holding you to this. Do this in my life. Pray written prayers like journaling or, or find a book of, of prayers like the Book of Common Prayer or Puritan, uh, the Puritan book, uh, uh, The Valley of Vision. Uh, did, were you guys here uh, at Christmas Eve uh, you remember when Lynette like beautifully read that, that prayer? That was from the Valley of Vision. Just get one of those books and pray that every day. Pray with your spouse or with your kids or with your roommates. Spend some time communing with God in prayer and worship. And then third, listen to the Holy Spirit. End your quiet time each day by turning off the music and listening to the Spirit. Sometimes I get to this during my quiet time. Sometimes I just do this while I'm driving to work. But just an important thing to be able to listen to what the Spirit wants to say to you that day. And, and, and if you can, write those things down. And lastly, I want to say, do this with other people. I've been getting up early to spend time with Jesus since I was in middle school. And that was only because I had a youth pastor who somehow managed to talk a bunch of like 13 and 14-year-olds into coming to the church at 6.30 in the morning before school to do Bible study and prayer. And, and then when I became a youth leader, my wife and I, uh, we opened up a prayer room, did the same thing. 6 a.m., we would have Bible study and prayer uh, for a handful of students. And guess what? High schoolers actually came. And we found that it was so beneficial just to simply get together with other followers of Jesus early in the morning to spend time in his presence. So I want to encourage you to join us for early morning prayer 6 a.m. at the portal. If you're having a hard time kickstarting it in your own living room, 
Join us at the portal. We have a really good time for an hour, and we would love for you to join us. And we're going to get started tomorrow morning, so you can start right away. Start each day with Jesus. You will find life and freedom as you develop the discipline of being with God, being in the scriptures, and praying every single day. This is life for our souls. Amen? Isn't that like the simplest message I've ever given? The most basic thing?